You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Revelation chapter 1, if you want to join me there. Let me just read uh, a few verses from Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to be in this for a few weeks, so uh, I just wanted to kind of start today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. You know, that was written a long time ago. For the saints... During this time, this is around 90, 90 plus A.D., somewhere in there, for saints at that time, just coming off the growth, uh, uh, the strength of Rome, and uh, all the other apostles have uh, already been martyred for their faith. John is the only one left. And, uh, you know, John's life is near its end. So when he reads, the time is near, when he hears that from God and he says to us, the time is near, that can mean lots of things to different people. If you were terminally ill, you'd say the time is near. If you were uh, uh, expecting some new event in your life, you might say the time is near. We're talking about, obviously, the things written in this particular book, and he's saying the time is near. And yet so many centuries have gone by, so many don't believe it anymore. So I want to just challenge us. As we look at the world around us, this means a lot more today than it might have been to even saints back then. Because the signs in Revelation are far more reasonably true and close than they were even then. Many of the things we're going to read will declare that. But obviously the time is near. I want to just remind us as we read that, do not be cynical about that phrase. Be cautiously aware and optimistic that this means for you the time is near. When I was in the hospital, uh, that phrase meant much to me uh, the night before my surgery. Now that I'm back out, I'm saying to myself, yeah, this is still very, very true for me. The time is near. How much time do you think you have left? How much time do you think the world has left? Well, I don't know. I don't know, but I think the events in this book are very close to being fulfilled. He goes on, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. 
That means that phrase is a part of the statement, the time is near. He goes on and says, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This introduction has statements that are given, and of course he uh, uh, is wanting us to uh, certainly understand the uh, sense of verse 3, that you are blessed if you read and hear these words. So it's one thing to read these words. It's another thing to take them in and say, I believe these words, because that indicates you've heard. If you have read these words or you have heard someone else share these words and you either say they are meaningless to me or I'm not, uh, I'm not believing that or I, 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 I'm not ready to receive that yet. Obviously, the blessing is only for those who hear or read and receive it as what it says it is, that it's true. The challenge for us today as we live today is to, is to be sure we express from our hearts this is not a fairy tale nor a forgotten word from God. This is fresh and it is something that we need to hear today. The, the fact is, if I believe this is true, that the, the time is near, it should have a sobering effect on my life, on my decisions, on my relationships, on my purpose. Uh, it should grip my life to such a degree that I am so dialed into the fact, yes, the time is near, and yes, he says he's coming, and I'm looking for that. Is that you? Are you looking for his return, really? John then uh, makes the comment that he's writing to, he's receiving this message and writing to the seven churches which are in Asia, that's Asia Minor, the area of Turkey uh, today. And uh, can you imagine that? The area of Turkey, of all the places in the world, received these messages, these special messages from God. And when you look at the land of Turkey today, you can't find a gospel preaching church. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. John is famous for, uh, you know, threes. He lists a number here, and he unpacks them just slightly. You remember John and his gospel? Remember John's gospel, verse 1? In the beginning was the Word. This is a triplet. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the reasons we know John wrote this, uh, this book is simply his form that he uses. There's many triplets that are uh, unpacked here for us. Uh, we just already did one when we uh, read verse 3. Uh, he says, blessed if you read, if you hear, and if you keep. Uh, here in uh, verse 4, he says, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. There's a triplet. Uh, he's addressing uh, grace, address being addressed to these seven churches from him. And then he identifies who him is as the eternal God, who is, who was, and who is to come. Uh, our God is eternal in the sense that he already existed. He's certainly present now. 
And he is certainly coming again to continue on with his eternity and to draw us with him in that. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, He, uh, in this address, is, again, writing to seven churches. And the seven churches are chosen in Asia Minor, not because they're just anything special. They're chosen because uh, of who they were, uh, you know, why they existed and what they were doing. Uh, which God has specific messages for them. But they're also uh, a type of church that typifies the church throughout uh, the, the future. So you and I are, in a sense, a type of church of one of these seven. The messages given to the seven then are freshly given to all. That's why this introduction, John, to the seven churches. So all seven churches are going to read the same message. But there are specific messages that we'll look at uh, designed for each particular church and the issues that they have. But as a whole, they will depict all the churches that will spin out of this in future generations. So you and I have many of the qualities and characteristics of one of these or two or three of these churches. Not only that, when we read that, don't dial out. These are messages to churches. These are also messages to every person who's a part of a church. So it's just as much personal as it is corporal. So the Lord wants to address things in our lives, and he uh, begins with this introduction to understand the, the, one of the greatest blessings that we'll ever have is this greeting from God. When he says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Grace is the uh, Gentile greeting. It's common for Gentiles. Peace was the Hebrew greeting. Shalom. And it's interesting that you can't have peace, that is the peace with God or peace of God in your life, if you first have not experienced his grace. It's, it's structured intentionally because grace is, is mandatory. It's necessary for you to ever know what it means to have peace with God. But he offers us grace, unconditional grace. It's all of him. So when it says grace to you from him who is and who was... Uh, it goes back to the fact that in all throughout the Old Testament, we see the expressions of God's grace to his people who were, uh, you know, called and addressed by him and, and called by him. And, and then uh, he indwelt among them and he carried them along and he blessed them and he forgave them and he kept them going through his strength and grace. And God poured his grace on all of those Old Testament saints as God chose to do even though they were just as undeserving as you and I are. But that grace, again, was absolutely the thing that God does. He comes to us when we did not know who he was, and he gives us grace. Today, God extends grace to you. He extends grace not because you've earned it, but because he chooses to. That will be a mystery I can't wait to have a discussion with. Why have you chosen me to have grace with me, Lord? Why? When you know me, you know my heart, but yet you still pursue me and offer me your goodness and your grace and your mercy. All that comes out of that, that we unpack from the word grace. And I have peace with God because of his grace in my life. I hope you do. He goes on with another triplet. He says, well, it's not a triplet, it's the Holy Spirit, but this is even more intriguing. He says, grace to you from him who is and who was, who is to come. And then grace to you from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Have you ever thought about that? Grace to you from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What what, what in the world does that mean? I thought the Holy Spirit was just the Holy Spirit. 
This has befuddled many theologians for years. I'm not going to say that my answer is the only answer, but I think it's the only one that scripturally seems to verify itself. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, You don't have to turn, but you want to mark that down. But obviously here, he just is giving us various uh, forms of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in perfection uh, does many things. And uh, Isaiah uh, wonderfully uh, gives us a picture of the Holy Spirit that not often do we think about this on a a constant basis. But let uh, let me just read this to you. I think it's in verse 2. First, he's speaking about uh, a future prophecy. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. We know this is talking about the Messiah. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then here we go. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. There's going to be seven references here to the Holy Spirit. The servant of the Lord, he's called here, which shall rest upon him. You have the Spirit of wisdom uh, and understanding the spirit of counsel, and the spirit of might. You have the spirit of knowledge, and you have the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit in perfection, uh, you know, is that person who does all of these things in our life. He certainly is the spirit of the Lord, yes, but he's also this one who provides wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, uh, knowledge, fear. I want that Holy Spirit working in my life. Don't you? When we call him the comforter, the counselor, uh, we have different titles for the Holy Spirit from John 14 and John 16. When When we identify him as this one who comes into our life and gives us counsel and comfort and all of that, which is all part of him as well, this with this dynamic of him, even as Isaiah represents and identifies who he is, these are the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives that are absolutely necessary for us to know him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't know Christ. When we come back to this text then, this, this greeting, the Holy Spirit in his perfection and all the dynamic of who he is is sending you this morning his greetings. Grace to you and peace from the Father, from the Eternal Father, and from the Spirit who represents himself in seven forms, if you will, before the throne of God. And the third one, grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ, verse 5. Here he's called the faithful witness. Uh, he's, he's called the firstborn from the dead. He's called the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is leading up to this great uh, crescendo of of blessing and glory to uh, as these three are sending us their greetings in the sense of grace and peace. But obviously the crescendo is all about the one who gave his life for us. But notice what it says here, from Jesus Christ. And we see out of this triplet, another triplet flows out, the faithful witness, the firstborn, and the ruler. In this, in this sense, you have this faithful witness, the one who comes and has represented himself 
all through the Gospels uh, as he uh, taught and as he claimed who he was, that he was sent from the Father, and, and as he made all the proclamations of who he was, he was a faithful witness all the way to the very uh, end of his human life on the cross of Jesus Christ. He was faithful to himself. It says here that uh, he was the firstborn from the dead. It's amazing that we, uh, this is not talking about uh, uh, the progression of those who have passed on. Uh, uh, this is not talking about even those who were supernaturally risen from the dead, like uh, Elijah, and uh, you have different ones. Uh, you, uh, not, not, not like those who uh, even Jesus raised uh, others from the dead when he was on this earth. It's talking about, uh, obviously, the position of someone, not necessarily the, the, the actual event that took place uh, before that. So others have come and gone, and some have actually been taken to glory. But here he's talking about the only one who could uh, uh, give his life that represented the firstborn of all those who had grace applied in their life. So I have God's grace in my life, so now when I die, I will be with him, only because this faithful witness went all the way to the cross, paid the price for me, and he became, the as he rose from the dead, the firstborn to allow all of us to rise from the dead in glory one day. Hallelujah. Then he says he's ruler over the kings of the earth, the third triplet. Uh, he is the one who will rule and reign. You can read uh, uh, in John 5, or you can go to uh, Revelation 20 and see uh, this one who will judge. In, in John 5, we're told that he will be the one who will judge. In Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, it's our Lord sitting on that seat judging. That's who he is. Then he says this interesting thing. He says, to him uh, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Aren't you thankful uh, today for what that represents to us? When you just track through, even if you just took uh, Paul's writings, but it, if you started with John 3.16, but you go to Paul's writings, and if I can just read a couple of things from you, let's go back to Romans chapter 5 and just maybe just glance at some phrases that mean so much to us. Verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and I. And he says this, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Have you ever thought about that? I think most of us men, maybe at some point in our journey, have processed that. I often think... Who would I give my life for? And I don't think I'd be any hesitation I'd give my life for my family, for my wife. I don't, I don't think I'd hesitate if I had to give my life for many of you. But it wouldn't be enough to, to help you in any way, eternally. Here's our Lord who is perfect in every imaginable way that we could conceive of. He's perfect. He's God. He's, he allows himself to be flesh, and he comes, and he lays his life down for us. And before the script was ever written of my life, he already knew all the flaws, all the failures, all the mess, 
And he still stepped into time and space with my name on his mind and he gave his life for me and for you. Some ears can't hear that. And going back to our text in Revelation, just to remind us in that text, blessed are those who hear this and read this. And even there, at the very beginning, he's talking about grace, peace. He's talking about what he's done for us through his blood. Look at uh, the next few verses here in Romans. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an amazing, amazing thing to even understand, to grab a hold of. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's an amazing statement. If you don't understand that, then let me read verse 12 and on, just a few verses. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, going clear back to Adam and Eve, he says, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. That's the state of all of us. He goes on in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through this one, Jesus Christ. You hear the word grace all through this. As Paul writes this, he's just thinking about himself and what and who he was. And this thing of grace, what God has done for him, paying that price for us, allowing us to have a connection with him through the Spirit of God. So here, going back to our text in Revelation, he just says, again, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. I want to just pause there for a second. This is so confusing, but let me just try to uh, remind us of this. Uh, if, if you go all the way back to Revelation chapter 20, there's just a, a light statement about this. One day, Satan's going to be bound, and uh, during that time, the Lord, after he returns, is going to set up a kingdom, I believe, in Jerusalem and uh, reigned for maybe uh, a thousand years' time, as he had promised in the Old Testament. And it says in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now, it goes on and talks about other things. I've always read that, and as a young person read that and thought, Okay, well, wait a minute, he doesn't say a word about who that is. Then it goes on, and uh, he says again uh, that... uh, there's this crowd that's a part of what he calls the first resurrection. And he says uh, in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's talking about uh, right now, if you die, and right now our souls go to be with the Lord Jesus, but when Christ returns, I believe the dead in Christ will rise first, and all who remain will join them in the sky, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you believe that? That's what it's talking about. And it goes on. Over such the second death has no power. That is, judgment has no power. 
but they shall be, watch this, priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Have you ever thought what that might mean? I can't picture that because that's a lot of priests and that's a lot of kings on the thrones. I don't know what that means. I I can't stand here and declare that to you. I only know what it says. And I uh, believe with the indication of what it says, and then when Peter, uh, back in his uh, uh, little letter, Peter makes a reference to this as well uh, in chapter 2 where he talks about this and he kind of just reminds us, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The word royal and the word priesthood identifies and matches uh, Revelation 20 that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Wow. So when we have this greeting, all that's being unpacked for us in this opening statement. And he ends that statement with, to him... Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He deserves that. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Let's praise him for that today. And every eye will see him. And this is an incredible statement. Even they who pierced him. When Jesus Christ returns, it's not just those who are sort of here hanging out and all of a sudden our life is interrupted and the Son of Man comes on clouds and all of a sudden we see this huge event and life begins to change dramatically. We have this idea it's just about those who are here, but all those who have died before us are going to be aware of that day. All the universe is going to wake up and realize that day is happening. And all those who are somewhere right now in eternity hanging, waiting for judgment, will know exactly what happened when he comes back and they will see him, the one they pierced. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Every eye will see him. And all the tribes of the earth. That's, it's Bible talk. I, you know, I'm not in a tribe, are you? The Stuart tribe. Uh, we're, we're called the clan. The Stuart clan. I've got a Stuart tie that says I'm in a certain clan. I don't, how many of you have a clan you belong to? Some of you actually know who your clan is, right? It doesn't mean a hill of beans anymore, does it? We don't care about clans. The only clan I belong to is Alpine Bible Church. It's the only clan I belong to, so you're, you're a part of my tribe. We're a tribe. How's that? Isn't that cool? This tribe, as we understand what he's saying here, We're going to be uh, together in this, and we're going to behold him. And he says to us in that last statement, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning of the story, if you want to say it that way, and I'm the end of the story. Who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. That means nothing will change this. This is set in stone from eternity to eternity. This is going to happen and will not change. So it goes back to, do you believe the time is near? Because you should. Do you want your family to know about this? You should. Do you want your friends to hear about this? You should. Today we are raising his name in our hearts, praising him for what he's done in us, thanking him for that. As Nick comes and leads us in the elements this morning, 
Uh, may our hearts just be filled with joy. And if you have a question about Jesus today, you know, let that be the thing that you deal with. If you're not sure if he's in your life, may you just not leave here until you have sort of asked the hard questions about yourself and be willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know if I'm a believer or not. I want to know that. That's the primary thing I want to know. And ask someone else after church or call one of us. Uh, get in your car and deal with this. But don't let this moment go by without asking yourself where you are in terms of eternity. Because the time is near. Lord, as we continue in our service, we ask your blessing on all that we do and say and thank as we uh, prepare to worship you in our hearts. Uh, Lord, even those who don't know you, may they, may they call on you or question you, want to know the answers. Uh, Lord, like Lori, may they, maybe they're just going through a tough time and they're just not understanding and questioning you. I just ask by your power you'll, you'll reach down and touch them in some way. We commit the rest of our service in the name of Jesus and unto you for your glory. Amen.